0: Welcome to another episode of When Push Comes to Shove. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Beverly Beach. She's the ambassador for When Push Comes to Shove. Beverly, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everyone what you're all about and uh, your experience? The floor is yours. Oh,
1: um, well, uh, I have uh, two children or, or rather there are are now two men. <laughs> two, two, two men and um, they were born in 19... 19- 72 and 76 and it was after the birth of my first baby that I where I had an unnecessary induction and all the ghastly things that followed and started questioning why I was induced when I was perfectly fit and healthy and, um, and then having found out why i.e it was the policy of the consultant at the time Um, I then started talking with other women and found so many women in the village who were traumatized by their birth experiences. And that's when I got angry and thought, right, something has to be done about that. And here I am, (laughs) 40 years later, talking about very similar things because we have a cesarean section rate that is appalling. It is... um, around 30 percent in some hospitals, and yet I sat on the World Health Organization target-setting conference in Fortaleza in Brazil in 1985, in which we set the criteria for appropriate technology for birth, and what we found when we looked at the research was that there was no evidence of health improvement of either the woman or the baby when cesarean sections exceed 10%. And the obstetricians from North and South America threw their hands up in horror and said, you can't possibly set it at that level because we will be laughed out of court when we go home and tell our colleagues. So there was a compromise and they said, we'll set it at 10 to 15%. And I objected and said, if you do that, 15% will be the target figure that they use and that's exactly what's happened and yet we know if two out of three women having a a cesarean that could have been avoided or was totally unnecessary if that happened to men there'd be a national outcry (laughs) it isn't it isn't just a question of well it's a cesarean and the baby's fine there are significant health improvements and health problems with cesarean sections for both the mother and the baby. And at the moment, not only have we got an unacceptably high level of cesarean sections, we also have got a very high level of induction of labour. And we seem to be in a a constant spiral because in the 1970s, um, Ames, of which I was chair at the time, campaigned against the huge rise in in, uh, induction of labor and yet here we are having so many women induced being told that oh you're overdue or worse they're told well when you get to uh, 39 weeks we'll organize uh, an induction and we'll set a date. Now a normal pregnancy goes from 39 to 42 weeks so What on earth are we doing inducing women at 39 weeks when that baby could have been born at 42 weeks? Essentially what we're doing is inducing a premature baby. So a lot of
0: women will hear this and think, well, what's wrong with induction?
1: (laughs) Well, having had an induction (laughs) and having had a normal birth, I know very well what the difference is. And my God, is there a difference? Mm -hmm. An induction, In an induction, you go in at the peak level, straight away, which is why women are are screaming for pain relief and wanting epidurals. In a normal birth, you very gradually work your way up to a peak. And that peak may only last half an hour or so. I said to one woman once, during that half an hour, you may have six contractions that are really really tough what do you think about that oh i can cope with that she said but women aren't told that Mm -hmm. they're not not told and you know if you're having a normal birth if you find the pain too much you can get into a pool yeah and the advantage of a pool is it has no side effects Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work you can get out and get yourself off to the hospital and have a, a, an epidural.
0: But why are, why are doctors and midwives suggesting these interventions and why are they advocating for cesarean sections and, and various other interventions when when there's if there's such a problem with it? So many women will think, well, I was induced because I was high risk and, you know, that's good, it saved me. I mean, is, is that the case? Is that the case?
1: Well... Uh... <laughs> Uh, so many women are told they're high risk Mm. but the first question to ask when you're told you're high risk is what is the risk Mm. and oh it's you you know you're high high risk and it's double the the risk and then you ask yes but what is double double of what (laughs) well it goes from one in 260 to two in 260 yeah that's a double the risk, mm. and and women are not given the, the real facts. And the first question they should be asking is, if I'm high risk, why? Yeah, and what is the risk? So many women, particularly those who have uh, want to have home births, they're told they can't have a home birth because they're too heavy or too or too small, or the baby's too small, or you know they've got gestational diabetes or they've got a, um, a strep infection or you know all yep. these things don't automatically mean you can't have
0: a home birth so if these procedures these unnecessary procedures if they're going why are they going ahead why are they encouraging this if they have such a bad outcome what 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 gain is it for the hospital what yes, you know? yes but the bad the bad the outcome is judged
1: on whether the baby's alive right <laughs> yes. nobody is looking at the state of the woman mm. there is there is virtually no research on postnatal depression and post-traumatic stress
0: mm.
1: we don't know what the figures are for Well, that. traumas become normal and that is what i can't get my head around yes it, it, it is it's yeah. just accepted that that you know women are traumatized oh dear you know yeah. it was a horrid horrid birth do better next time and yeah. very often they're told it's their fault oh well your cervix didn't open oh well you were in labor for too long yeah you know there are all these reasons and women take this on and don't start questioning why did this happen
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, i i see that a lot where the intervention takes place and the mom and baby are saved and <laughs> You know, if that intervention didn't start in the first place, the saving wouldn't have had to have taken place. So it, it's very frustrating. What do you think is a statistic for an actual natural birth in this country? What are the likelihood of actually having, when I say natural birth, I'd, I'm not talking vaginal birth. There are plenty of vaginal births occurring, but they have epidurals, they've got centosin on, they, you know, there's drugs completely natural births as our body intends what's the percentage do you think or is that unobtainable oh,
1: oh it's, it's t- fewer than one in ten wow okay. and in fact i think it's far lower than that because the statistics for that are based on some interventions it doesn't include all of the interventions yeah and so often i have women saying oh i'm never going to have a normal birth You know, it was absolutely awful and ghastly and uh, never again, and or, or even, you know, I'll never have another baby. And when you talk to them and you say, okay, what was your normal birth like? Well, first of all, you went into hospital. That's the first intervention. Yeah. Then your labor stopped. What a surprise. That's what often happens. So then they break the waters and put up a drip. That's an intervention having got the drip, it then becomes very painful. Mm. So the women then have an epidural and it follows on. They may, because they've got an epidural, they'll have electronic fetal monitoring. That isn't counted in the statistics, the electronic fetal monitoring. So and then they they give birth to their baby, they may have an episiotomy and, um, and then they may have drugs in order to deliver the placenta there's nothing normal about that, those procedures. Yeah,
0: so if you because take consideration that probably natural birth rate is a lot lower.
1: Oh, it is a lot lower mm. and, and women don't, don't think in terms of if the baby arrives vaginally, that's then considered a normal birth. Mm.
0: It's just a vaginal birth. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean my my first baby was vaginal I wouldn't say it was a normal birth <laughs> epidural syntodrip, drip just every intervention you can imagine and it was so traumatic I afterwards I was in shock I thought this is not normal yeah. and then obviously I I got into the the birth world and and I know now that's definitely not normal. And I've since obviously had the birth that I actually wanted. That was a normal birth. But I think to say just a vaginal birth is normal, that's a very bad precedent to set because you're actually thinking trauma is normal. And mm. really, we should be aiming a lot higher than that. <laughs> we should be going for enjoyable births and aesthetic births and empowering births. But yes, but the, the don't know problem about it. Yeah, but the problem with that
1: is, I, and I hear it so often, that women who've had a fantastic birth and feel really positive about it, when they go back to gather with the other women who've been in their antenatal classes, mm-hmm. who've all been ta- taught how to get a normal birth and the birth will be normal, blah, 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 and they get together, and then the women start talking about that, how awful their births were. The women who've had fantastic births, mostly in midwifery units or in at home don't say anything because they don't want to upset the other women yeah so there's this silence from women who have had fantastic births that's true
0: not to say anything yeah and then the mainstream narrative is that birth is inherently dangerous and traumatic and that's all women hear. so they expect it and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy Yes, especially especially
1: if you watch those ghastly programs as One Born Every Minute, where where it shows you exactly what birth is like in hospitals for most women.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what do you say to women who are on the fence of home birth, but they end up going for the hospital just in case something goes wrong? What's your response to that? I hear that a lot. Well, I'd like a home birth, but what if something goes wrong?
1: Yes. Well, my response to that is that it's less likely for anything to go wrong if you're at home. Mm. And, and you know, the things that go wrong are often in the hospital as a result of the interventions that they've indulged in. Yeah, And, of course, it do- they don't tell
0: the women that. Yeah. And, of course, I think now by the time women are pregnant, it's almost too late to to give them all this information because they're overwhelmed and they feel backed into a corner. They've been indoctrinated with this uh, horrible stigma of birth their whole life. And all of a sudden they're gonna be giving birth in a few months and they're terrified. And I I honestly think the best place for women to give birth is wherever they feel safe. Although personally, I think home is better, but I understand birth physiology and I trust my body. If I didn't trust my body and I really thought something was gonna go wrong, of course I'd be in the hospital because your oxytocin is going to flow better if you're if you're not afraid mm. but then you know, a, a,
1: a wonder, wonderful midwife called Mary Cronk yeah yeah uh, she was just fantastic yeah. and I said to her one day when she was saying how much she enjoyed um, assisting women to birth at home with their first baby mm. and I said oh isn't it much more risky with the first baby and she said no mm. She said, with a first baby, the woman gives me plenty of, of um, warning of something not quite right. Yeah. And I can do something about it. And if it doesn't work, I can then take her into the hospital. So there isn't any panic. It isn't a blue light, mad dash to the hospital. Mm-hmm. It will go into the hospital just in case, because yeah. now there's something that's suggesting that it might be needed as opposed to oh I must go to hospital for the birth because that's the safest place and the research shows quite clearly for fit and healthy women hospital is not the safest place to have your baby.
0: It's, uh, it's a struggle isn't it I mean that's why we're, when push comes to shove we are actually aiming our education at uh, children so that by the time they're older and they go to have a baby they're not going to be Scared of their body, they're going to know how to navigate the system. And I I, I think unless you're actually doing the research yourself and you're finding yourself in the position of um, engaging a doula or an independent midwife and you're actually doing an extensive amount of research, then it can be quite daunting for someone just going through the system and hearing alternative views. And it might be, in fact, a bit too overwhelming for them. So Beverly, regarding women's rights in birth, what's happening there because we see so much trauma, so many referrals to social services for going against or not towing the line. Um, Please explain your views on women's rights in birth.
1: Well, because many, many years ago, at one time written inside the case notes was a statement that said, the moment the woman steps inside a hospital, she agrees to whatever the doctor recommends and it was done, written by the Medical Defense Union. So I wrote to them and said, would you like to give me the uh, statute law or regulation that supports this statement? Of course, they didn't reply, um, but they removed it from the case notes and, the, and from their annual report the next year. So I then started thinking, well, why do women think they've got to do what the doctor says? And that was the beginning of what became um, my current book, which is Am I Allowed? And which is now its fourth edition coming up. It's uh, going to be published in in April, I hope. And um, it sets out what women's rights are in maternity care and persuading women or informing women that it's their body and it's their baby And they are the one who makes the decision. And if they don't agree with the decision or the recommendation that the staff are making, they have every right to say, no, I am not going to do this, this is not acceptable.
0: Yeah, vaginal exams is a perfect example, A, a lot of women think that they have to. They don't even know they can say, well, is this necessary? know they assume that's just part and package of giving birth and uh, like i always refer people to your book am i allowed it's amazing and it really clearly states well you are allowed to do whatever you want um i think on first glance women go yeah but why why would i need to rebel you know obviously the system have got my best interest in heart at heart and i'm like a bit more complicated than that but (laughs) read the book and a lot of people have read it and thought wow okay i get it now but The problem there we've got now is I'm I'm sure you've heard as many stories as I that women are being referred to social services for declining medical advice and intervention. Why is this happening? This is ludicrous. But, well, it's another form of
1: of bullying and and getting the woman to comply because the moment you threaten social services, most women go, okay, I'll do that. And um, it, it's unethical, and it's against their code of the professionals' code of practice. And my advice to women who've who've been in that position is to first of all get a copy of their case notes before they do anything, and then they complain to the trust um, about the the individual who said that, and also they report them to their registration body, to the General Medical Council if it's a doctor. And to the nursing and midwifery council if it's a midwife Mm. or a health visitor or um you know children's nurse or whatever it is absolutely outrageous Mm.
0: but it happens it's happening more and more so the people who are doing these referrals they genuinely must think that these women are a risk to their babies but where's this come from What, what, what are they learning to think that if a woman is declining a cesarean section for a breech baby or declining I don't know just really basic things why why are they a risk they must believe that otherwise they wouldn't do the referring surely well in some cases I'm sure
1: they do think that Mm -hmm. but there are far too many cases where it is used precisely as a means of getting compliance or punishing the woman for having made a decision that they don't agree with yeah yeah the most recent case that I supported and helped was a woman who did not comply with what they what they wanted and um, they threatened her and eventually she agreed that she would be referred to a, another hospital but just to make sure they also referred her to social services uh, on the grounds that she was putting her baby at risk. Now what they don't seem to appreciate is that the woman has the right to make a decision about her and her baby and even if this is when the baby's in utero, Mm -hmm. um, and even if the staff genuinely feel that the woman's putting that baby at risk or her life at risk, they still have a professional duty to comply with her decision and support her.
0: Yeah. We see this with um, the rise in free birth as well. I had a client recently who had a free birth, I didn't even make the birth Uh, it was a BBA and she had a second degree tear so she went to the hospital to get sutured and she was met with such hostility they said oh so you go all renegade and free birth and you want us to clean up the mess and who told you you could do that that sentence gets me every time who told you you could do that why does there need to be blame and why why they're not questioning what has made this woman want to do that in the first instance the answer was her first baby she had such a traumatic experience and such appalling care yeah she wasn't heard she didn't want anything to do with them yeah and
1: in those circumstances i know after the woman particularly those who've had a traumatic experience It takes them a long time to work through it Mm. and get to a point where they feel they might want to write and complain. Mm. But it is very important to put in a complaint, even if it's a number of years after the incident, to Mm. write and do that and say, this is what you did and this is what the staff did and this is unacceptable. And what are you going to do about it? Mm. And I can remember a case many years ago of a woman who had been very traumatized with her first birth. And um, she was a, a, a little, little mouse who who was didn't make a decision on anything really. And whatever I decided or, or whatever I suggested, um, she would find a reason why she couldn't do it. Yeah. So we just talked it through and I left it for her to decide what she was going to do. And in the end, she decided that she would write to the hospital and she did. And it was a few years after the event, but there was a very good head of midwifery who arranged for a senior midwife to go out and talk to her with the case notes and go through the case notes and explain what happened and why it happened. And she wanted a letter to be sent to the midwife who was responsible for the trauma that she suffered and they agreed that they would do that but the midwife had moved to another hospital so that was forwarded and that was that was i didn't hear anything and about two years later this woman rings me up and she said she was so pleased with the way that the midwives had reacted and supported her and she was now secretary of a campaign group at her local infant school to uh, stop them closing down a section or whatever it was. And and I thought, here was this woman who really wouldn't have said boo to a goose and argued with anybody. And thanks to the way she put her complaint in, it was dealt with properly. She was really empowered by that experience. Mm. it makes a huge difference
0: that's wonderful it's so nice to hear I'm I I think women do need to make these complaints I know it's hard but yeah if if you don't nothing's going to change it has to come from women and you have to have a voice and speak up otherwise it's just going to be swept under the carpet and things yeah and also
1: also I think that it's important for women who've had good birth experiences Mm to write to the chief executive of the hospital and tell them because so often, these hospitals are grossly short of staff. The poor midwives and doctors are running around like headless chickens, trying to look after three or four women Mm -hmm. at the same time. Midwives who try their best to give the kind of care that midwives want to give, Mm -hmm. aren't able to do so, but they manage it in many instances in these large hospitals. And it's really important that people write and, and commend that so that the hospital will know that that's the kind of
0: care that should be. Well, it right, It's almost recovery. positive reinforcement, isn't it? That's, that's lovely. I think that's a very good idea, actually, for women to do that. Why do you think we've got to this point? Why do you think the system has changed so much? Why, do, why is it with system, not with women? I mean, women are now not able to receive continuity of carer, unless you have an independent midwife or a doula. What has changed at at what point? Like when you watch Call the Midwife, you know, from the 50s and they they see the same person all the time, and we all know you're much likely to have a better outcome with a continuity of carer. Why has it changed? Why has it gone from a normal physiological process to everyone going to hospital to have a medical procedure? How has this happened?
1: Well, it's happened because the medical profession have frightened women into hospital and um, there was no evidence at any time that hospital was safer than a home birth. Marjorie Q. in the 1960s did a study in which she looked at the risk status. At that time women were accorded risk status and it went from one to five and she looked at the statistics and she found that in every single risk group women were safer having their babies at home except for one group and that was the very very high risk women and there weren't enough women in that group for her to come to a statistically valid conclusion but every other group was safer having a baby at home now what then happened was the RCOG removed the system to allocate risks to women so the research could never be repeated. Now, Brocklehurst in, what was it, 2016, managed to do a huge study of something like 59,000 fit and healthy first-time births and he found that it was safer having babies at home or in freestanding midwifery units mm. for that group of women.
0: So, so, yeah, but everyone thinks hospital is just, yeah, Hospital is safe, they, it's a medical. They hospital. have, well, it
1: started out as a status symbol mm. when they first had hospitals, and the majority of women gave birth at home but it became a status symbol to say that you'd gone into the hospital to have your baby because you had the
0: doctor there and then the doctor who is trained for when things go wrong not for no, absolutely who, who has no knowledge of normal birth because they don't study it didn't you have an obstetrician tell you once that there's nothing that you could tell him that he didn't already know about birth? And your reply
1: was? (laughs) My reply was, how many babies have you had? (laughs) He
0: was not impressed. And you can't understand the behaviour of birds by watching them in a zoo. I think your words were, Beverly. (laughs) Which is absolutely amazing. That's a fantastic quote. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That's another issue. All the research, virtually all the research, is done in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Where you have already altered the behaviour of those in it. Yeah, you, you know you don't study um, the behaviour of birds by going to a zoo and studying them in the zoo. You go out in the jungle to see what they've been up to.
0: Yeah, yeah. But doctors are there when things go wrong. They have no place for a normal birth. They what? They're just going well, to I- intervene.
1: I I think one of the things that is really needed it is for both obstetricians and midwives Mm. to spend a certain amount of time with women having normal births Mm. and going out to midwifery units and to home births and sitting in the corner and watching Mm. and seeing what a normal birth is Yeah, because they they don't have that experience and what's so um depressing at the moment is that so many midwives don't have experience in normal birth I used to lecture to to midwifery um groups of midwives and I would start by saying um I want you all to think about the last normal birth you attended and put up your hand so up would go the hands of most of the audience and then I'd say right put your hands down um, if the woman had her waters broken, if she had a drip set up, um, if she had continuous electronic fetal monitoring, if she had um, an epidural and the hands would start going down. And I go through this list and uh, if she had a, um, a controlled uh, um, an injection for the delivery of the placenta. And in the end, there'd be one or two people with their hands up. And I'd say you are the ones who've attended a normal birth. The rest of you have attended obstetric deliveries. Mm. And we mustn't confuse normal birth with all these interventions because they have a serious effect on the progress of a normal birth. Mm. And if you're in hospital and you're training and all you see are women who've got all these interventions at various times, you're not getting experience of what a normal birth can be like.
0: Well, I've spoken to quite a few newly qualified midwives who genuinely believe home birth is dangerous and they don't like doing it. They think, I, I had one say to me once, you don't see what I see, you know, on a daily basis, what goes wrong all the time. And I'm thinking, why does it go wrong? Yeah. But what are you not seeing? And well, they're not <laughs> home not- watching
1: they're not seeing the interventions that are happening
0: yeah
1: you, you know it makes a huge difference when women have an experienced person with them mm. throughout their labor and we've been suggesting continuity of care that the even the government has recognized that continuity of care is important for women to have that quality care and yet this has been on the agenda since way back in the 1970s. Continuity of care should, should be provided.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're not doing it. It, it. It's happening each time there's a report come out, like there's been uh, uh, changing childbirth, then there's better births, say, talking about continuity of care. Or what happens is they go off and they establish teams of midwifery to to give continuity of care to a small proportion of women. And they call it a pilot study. Mm. And then the pilot study comes to the end. You find that the women are as happy as Larry with the outcomes because they've been really good. The midwives are happy to be, be providing that quality of care because they've been able to get to know the woman, to be there for the birth and know them postnatally. And then what the trust says is oh we we haven't got any more uh, any more money to uh, continue this so it's then abandoned yeah so we're back to square one again and more small groups and they will not be able to provide good quality midwifery care until they separate midwifery continuity of care in the community so it's, it's in small, freestanding midwifery units and in the community. And when they provide that service, which is separately funded from the trusts, mm. then we might see
0: some changes. Well, that's what we're aiming to do here when push comes to shove, you know, we're looking at all directions. And I, I think another issue is, which I hear time and time again, again, it goes back to this word risk. So you've got a midwife looking after you and they're supporting your choice to have a home birth or whatever, you get to 42 weeks and the guidelines say, no, not over that. You have to come into hospital. And what if the women still want to give birth after 42 weeks? So the midwives are saying, well, I can't, it's too risky. So then the women have been left with no choice. I still want to give birth at home. You're not supporting my options. So they free birth or go to hospital. That's not a choice. No. It's coercion, in a way. I mean, I, I, I get that midwives working on it just have to follow guidelines. And, that, you know, the, the women that... Are, the, sorry, the midwives that go, well, actually, no, I'm going to do it anyway. They're going to get referrals to the NMC. They're the renegade yeah. ones.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. the system's not... Or, for or as to a midwife um, that, that um, I had contact with, uh, she supported a woman to have a home birth, and it was against the guidelines. Um, but despite the um, midwife's code of practice saying that the midwife should support the woman and her decision, uh, she was on the carpet and criticized for what she did. The outcome was fine. There were no problems with the baby, mother happy, baby happy, midwife happy. But she hadn't followed the guidelines. And they sent her off on an assertiveness training course. No doubt, I uh, presume, so that she could more successfully bully
0: a woman in the future. I I don't even know what to say anymore. I mean, the times I've I've attended a birth, uh, an unplanned home birth. This has happened quite a few times where the woman's gone into labour and gone, I'm not getting in a car. I would be crazy to get in a car. Get someone here. So I call the midwife. No, she can't do that. What do you mean she can't do that? Well, no, she's not it's not planned, so you're gonna to have to tell her to get in. I can't force another human being into a car because it suits them. I mean, some hospitals have been great, they're like, well, we haven't got anyone, but we'll send someone from a neighbouring hospital, and they have done that. Yeah. But I I would always urge women to plan a home birth uh, and then transfer in if you want to rather than the other way around. Because, also, and because-
1: the the issue is you know we, we haven't got any midwives we can't we can't um we can't come to your birth it is to say I intend staying at home mm. I am not moving from here and I expect you to provide a service mm. and if you do not provide a service I will hold you responsible for whatever the outcome is
0: mm.
1: and it often focuses their minds and they send <laughs> <another>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a nice way to put it focuses their minds i like that yeah i mean but you know some women are going to think "Well, I do not want to be arguing at this time and no. I, I had that problem i thought why am i having to do this at this stage in my life when i'm trying to relax get all zen ready for my birth but no i'm arguing with people i mean i'm very well informed and i yeah. still oh, no. didn't get the, the care i wanted no but I know
1: you're not you're not alone. It no. is very often a battle, yeah. and if you're in the situation of a battle, um, my suggestion is that you don't argue. Mm. You say, "I have made a decision. I expect you to respect it, and we have nothing more to discuss." And the other issue is, if you raise this issue again, because very often it's, "Oh, you're high risk, and this is why, and we must go through this," and you go through it a dozen times to say I have no intention of discussing this issue any further yeah and should you raise it I will consider it bullying and I will report you to the nursing and midwifery council (laughs)
0: let's hope women are taking heed and being very assertive now I hope so (laughs) okay we should also like take a minute to discuss the midwives that are working so hard and you know it's not all bad so let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) Yes,
1: you know midwives go go into midwifery because they want to help and and look after women and babies
0: Mm.
1: and they're working in a system that is actually an industrialized factory-based system that you go through the sausage machine and when you've trained to look after a particular woman and get to know her and be there for her during her labor. Because you know her, you pick up things that a midwife in a, in a hospital who's running ragged, looking after four women at the same time, um, with, with and been on duty for goodness knows how long, short of staff, she's not gonna pick up those, those um, messages that the woman may be giving. And it's so important that the public, I think, don't understand the importance of midwifery. It's often, oh, the doctor, the doctor, The most important person is the midwife. And the midwife should be used as a mechanism for triaging women so that the midwife looks after her until she establishes that there is a problem. And therefore, you've got a problem. The most important person to look after you with a problem is an obstetrician. Mm -hmm. He's an expert in abnormality and problems Mm -hmm. and so they should be referred. But the midwife can still look after the woman during that pregnancy. So the midwives are in a really difficult position. There's a huge shortage of midwives. It is a national disgrace and yet the midwives are struggling and i say to midwives what you need to be doing is how much overtime are you working are you paid for it no why aren't you paid for it well i i i I suggest to them you put in um a a bill for the amount of time that you've worked overtime Mm. oh they won't take any notice of that why not the ones that did do so were told you can have time off in lieu But they can't have time off in lieu because they haven't got enough staff. So they've still got to work. So the midwives are actually working a huge amount
0: of time, extra, unpaid. Yeah. I um, read Amity Reid's book, Overdue. Yes. Um, She talks about that a lot. And, you know, as much as we're not here to slate, you know, the system, we're here to point out flaws in it and you are allowed to navigate it in your in your own way but we do need to make it clear that you know sometimes okay for example i spoke to a midwife of the day she would be very happy to support vaginal breech births but here's the problem she said what if i'm not working and if someone comes in in labor with a breech baby the first thing that midwife is going to do the new midwife is send her off for a c-section and send her to an obstetrician so there are layers within the system you have to think of. So yes, a lot of midwives are going, well, I'll support you, I'll do this, but what if they're not on shift? And yeah. you're just gonna have, you're gonna be passed around. Um, the same thing, I spoke to an obstetrician who would support um, a, a breech vaginal birth, but she said, well, what if they come in? The first doctor that sees them will say C-section. And in midwifery, if a breech baby is discovered, be it palpation or um, in a scan, they're, they're no longer going through the midwifery service. They go straight to the obstetric unit. Yeah. So it, it's right. so difficult. And and
1: what, is, what has happened um, is that those midwifery scale, skills for birthing a, a breech baby are very different mm. than the way an obstetrician deals with a breech baby. And of course the research was on the obstetric method of delivering a breech. And it showed that though that method was far more risky which is why the obstetricians then turned around and said oh cesarean sections but they didn't compare it with what the midwives were doing yeah which is far less although there is a midwifery group now that is particularly um trying to tra- train midwives up to provide a, a safe vaginal breech birth
0: yeah they are sick of it as well they, they don't want to speak up because they're going to be referred to the nmc or you know it's there's a lot of bullying that's that theme has come up a lot with professionals that i have interviewed yeah. um bullying 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 it, it comes up all the time and they feel acquiesced into giving care that they don't actually believe is beneficial that's right but it,
1: you're, you're right about the bullying i had an email last week from a group of midwives who were not happy with, with what was being um, suggested at the hospital. And they, because I had spoken out about it, they had written to me anonymously to say, we're writing to you on an anonymous email address because we're afraid that um, we will be bullied if we open our mouths and say anything, but good for you for speaking out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's utterly appalling. Well, if those midwives are watching or listening to our podcast now, I urge you to come and talk to me. We don't have to do on screen like we're doing now. It can be totally anonymous. Um, Speak out, blow the whistle, because we need to change this, right? So I definitely would welcome anyone to come forward to have a chat with myself or Carly. And uh, or write to us uh, or from the email address when push comes to shove, so it's info at when push comes to shove.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you anyway, Beverly. We're, we've run out of time, but thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to interview you, and for everyone watching, Beverly is the ambassador now for When Push Comes to Shove. We are over the moon to have you on board. And if you need to find out any more, please go to when push comes to shove.co.uk. Um, please look into buying beverly's book am i allowed it's incredible it's very informative and it's basically an obstetric bible to have and you will be armed with information so thank you beverly for your time thank you very much it's a pleasure